You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to www.weareredwood.org. We pray that the message that you're about to listen to will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Appreciate you uh, being here uh, this morning. Well, we have started a uh, series uh, several weeks ago on our conscience and uh, we entitled the series Fighting for Purity in an Impure World. And if you recall from several weeks ago, uh, I referenced the, the flight in 1984 on Avianca Airlines and how it crashed uh, in Spain. And the black box uh, recording was rather telling. Uh, over and over again, it, it said, pull up, pull up, pull up. And then a few seconds later, you hear the pilot uh, say, um, you know, shut up, gringo, and they turned off the warning signals, and then a few seconds later, they crashed, and everybody on uh, the flight was dead. And so we talked about how uh, you and I, we've got to make sure that we, that we soften our conscience, that you and I can, uh, c- can hear our conscience, that we can hear the, the God-given warning symbols you know that, that, that God gave us we talked about pain and how that's actually a gift from God uh, even though we try to stay away from as much pain as we possibly can but uh, it lets you know that something's wrong well our conscience is also a gift from God and it is there to uh, to help you uh, to know when, when when things are going wrong and the Puritan Richard Sibbs in his commentary on 2nd Corinthians said this the conscience is the soul reflecting upon itself it is the soul reflecting upon itself and sibs also pictures the conscience as a court kind of like a courtroom kind of the uh, the counsel of the human heart and he uses the the imagery of how the conscience and i'm going to read his words here in a moment how the conscience how it assumes every role in a courtroom drama. Yes. The conscience, Richard Sibbs said, the conscience is the soul reflecting upon itself. The soul reflecting upon itself. And then he goes on to describe the conscience and how it, it, it takes every single role in the courtroom. And I want to I read this for you. So, Sib says this, that it is a register to record what we have done in exact detail. So it's a register, and he, and we, and, and he, and he gives references for each one of them. Jeremiah 17.1 says, The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with the point of a diamond. It is graven upon the table of their heart. So it's like a register in a courtroom that's writing every single thing that is said, every single thing that is done down. That our, our conscience is like that. Turn to Romans 2 real quick. Romans chapter 2. Please. So not only is it like the register in a courtroom, Sibs says that it is the accuser as well as the defender. So if it's accusing you, it's it's... He says it's lodging a complaint 
against you when you are guilty. So your conscience will do that. And then it will also side with you and I when we are innocent. Look what it says in verse 15 of Romans chapter 2. It says, "...which show the work of the law, written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another." So your conscience is writing, in a sense, on, on your heart every single thing that you've, that you've ever done or that, that you are doing. It is an accuser of you when you do wrong, and then it is also a defender for when you are doing right. It also acts as a witness. It gives testimony for or against us. 2 Corinthians 1.12 says, For our rejoicing in this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you words. So Sib said it's also um, a witness. It's also going to give testimony against you, but then it also might give a testimony for you. So it's either going to accuse, defend, going to give testimony. He says that the conscience is also the judge. The judge will either condemn you or the judge will vindicate you. It says in 1 John 3, verse 20, for if our hearts condemn us, we're talking about kind of that inner man, that, that, that conscience, the, uh, the, you know, kind of the seed of your emotions, so to speak, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. But if our hearts condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And so our conscience, or our heart, it can condemn you and it also can vindicate you, just like a judge does. And then Sibs goes on to say that it is the it's the executioner. Uh, it's going to um, depend on. It's going to say, you know, you're going to. Um, it's going to smit you with grief when our guilt is discovered, is how Sibs put it. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. In other words, his conscience smote him. And so it's going to also be uh, the the accuser. Sibs goes on to say, and then we're going to get into. Uh, some, some, some. This is new material, but just kind of a different way here. He compares the chastisement of a violated conscience to a flash of hell. Here's how he says it: the conscience is privy to all our secret thoughts and motives. It is therefore a more accurate and more formable witness in the soul's courtroom than any external observer. Those who gloss over an accusing conscience in favor of a human counselor's reassurances are playing a deadly game. So he's going on to say, you know, someone in your life is like, oh, that's okay. You can partake of this. You can do this. Oh, it's okay. He's like, it's dangerous when your conscience is telling you no, 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 and you're going to take the heed and the word of maybe, you know, a human counselor. He's, you know, just an influencer, so to speak, in your life. He goes on to say this, wrong thoughts and motives may escape the eye of a human counselor, but they cannot escape the eye of our conscience, nor will they escape the eye of an all-knowing God. When such people are summoned, here's where it's like a flash of hell, when such people are summoned to final judgment, their own conscience will be fully aware of every violation and will step forward as a witness against them. 
Now, how many of you are thankful for Jesus? Amen? Aren't you, aren't you glad that He gives us a new heart and He takes on uh, the sins of, our, uh, you know, uh, of what we have experienced, what we committed, what we will still commit uh, in, the, in the future days? But you and I, we've got to, uh, we've got to come to the place where we, where we soften where we soften our conscience, where we can, uh, where, where, where we can hear it when it is speaking. Don't, don't just shut it off. Don't just like the pilots of that flight. You just say, hey, 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 be quiet. I don't want to listen to you. And then they crash. So you and I, we've got, to, we've, we've got to soften it. Let me say also, just like any other emergency warning system, your conscience needs to be properly programmed. It needs to be properly calibrated in order to function correctly. And so this morning what I want us to do is I want us to consider how you and I need to sharpen our conscience. To sharpen it. An uninformed, untrained conscience will be unstable and unreliable. Consistently misfiring, consistently misleading you, and even altogether can become useless in your life. So, just as dangerous as an untrained conscience is, the conscience that is tied, hear what I'm about to say. I'm going to kind of try to just go slow here this morning. A conscience that is tied to the wrong standard is also as detrimental as maybe one that is dulled. So it can either be dulled and you've got to sharpen it, but then also it's dulled in a different way because it's tied to a wrong standard. So the conscience becomes informed by tradition as well as by truth. So the standard it holds to is not necessarily a biblical one. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 6. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. But to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Praise God for that. Verse 7. How be it? There is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. And so it can be your, your conscience can be needlessly condemning in areas where there is no biblical issue. And that's what Paul is saying. This would, uh, this would have been a heavy tradition that would have kind of continued on through society. And so what Paul is saying here is like, listen, the way, the way that we eat meat or whether it's been offered to idols, or whether it's not, that doesn't bring us any closer to God, nor does it cause us to be any further away from God. In fact, our conscience can try to hold us to the very thing that the Lord is trying to release us from. Turn to Romans 14. Romans 14, 
Romans chapter 14. So we're going to drive to the point, ultimately, that we, we sharpen our conscience by you know, the Word of God and using kind of the rock of the Word of God to sharpen it. Look at verse number 14 of Romans 14. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Do you see Paul giving deference there? You, you see that, right? He's giving deference to, to other believers, to other people. He's saying, hey, hey, to me, later on in chapter 15, he talks about how he's strong in the Gospel. To him, it's not, it's not unclean. But to somebody else, it might be considered unclean. And he is allowing deference. And by the way, I think we ought to allow both ways. You remember a couple, uh, maybe it was a month ago, maybe it was a month and a half ago, I don't remember, but we were in the book of Mark. And, you know, the Pharisees came in and they said, how come your disciples aren't washing everything? Why aren't they washing their hands and their cups and the plates and everything before they eat? Because that had become a tradition. And if we're not careful, that tradition gets elevated to the law of God. And Jesus is like, wait a minute. If you want to wash everything, go for it. But my disciples aren't doing anything wrong. And so the ones that maybe have a little bit looser of a standard, so to speak, you give deference to somebody that is maybe a little bit stricter. And those of you that are a little bit stricter, give deference to those that are a little bit looser. It's a beautiful community of brothers and sisters in Christ that don't all look, talk, eat, act exactly the same. Amen? That was kind of weak. Differences among us. Now we've got to make sure that our differences aren't on biblical lines. And I don't think that any of you would um, you, you know that I'm not teaching that. But on things that are, that are grayer, we, we spent so many weeks going through gray areas uh, in the Bible. Jump down to verse number 20 of Romans 14, right there where you're at. For meat, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that commendeth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is of sin. And he continues on down through chapter 14 and chapter number 15 that these areas of strong and weak are actually when you are strong in the Gospel, you don't necessarily have to have all of the man-made standards. However, if there's a man-made standard in someone else's life, you deny it. We don't just trample all over that. We don't ever mock somebody for you know, none of that. If they hold to something that is offensive to them, you allow them that. By the way, if you're holding something that is offensive to you and it's not offensive to somebody else, the Holy Spirit of God has given them liberty. You allow them. So in other words, I'm not taking my liberty and I'm not trying to get you all to come over to my liberty. Man, stand where the Holy Spirit's allowing you. Allow what your conscience 
vice versa, if I have not an area of liberty, I'm not going to try to put the shackle of that on you. That's what Paul is kind of alluding to here. Sharpening our, sharpening our consciences, it's not, it's, we've got to make sure that it's on the Word of God and not only just tradition. Things that have been passed down to us. And so the conscience, hopefully, hopefully you're following me, to operate fully and in accord and in, in accord with true holiness must be informed by the Word of God. So even when guilty feelings do not have a biblical basis, they're important spiritual signals in your life. And so you need to begin to determine, is this guilt that I'm feeling, is this restriction, so to speak, whatever, is that because of a biblical reason? And if you deem that that is, don't change for somebody else. All right? And you can be confident in that. And then don't, don't try to always change the other person either. And so the conscience reacts to the conviction, convictions of the mind. The conscience reacts to the convictions of the mind and therefore can be encouraged and sharpened in accordance with God's Word. A regular diet of Scripture is going to strengthen a weak conscience. It's also going to restrain an overactive one. Okay, Get in the Word of God. Allow, allow the Word of God to be the thing that strengthens you. Obviously, the opposite side of that, error, human wisdom, wrong moral influences filling the mind is going to cripple and corrupt the conscience that you and I have been given. Let me put it this way. I was trying to explain this to Mike. I didn't do the greatest job this morning. I'm going to try to do it better. Our conscience, hear me, is like a skylight and not a lamp. Alright? So if you turn a lamp on, that lamp is going to shine kind of into, uh, in, 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 into the room. Alright? A skylight is simply influenced by its surroundings. Right? So when it's daytime and the sun is out, that skylight is fully functioning. But when the light goes out, that skylight doesn't do anything. Or if it's all dirty and muddy and cruddy, and which our conscience can definitely happen in our life, and then it's not also useful. And so its effectiveness is determined by the amount of pure light it is exposed to and how clean that that skylight is. And so our conscience is only as effective as how much pure light is getting shined into it. All right? Your conscience in and of itself, honestly, it can't be trusted. Because we can, we can school that conscience to say whatever we want it to say. We can allow it. We can tell ourselves, hey, man, you know, this is okay. I can do this. And we can, we can literally say it with conviction. But does it adhere to the Word of God? And so we've got to be careful that if we are maybe a little bit looser with the way we live, hey, let's make sure we come back to the Word of God. And is this... Is this okay? If you are much stricter, hey, let's come back to the Word of God. 
finding a balance on these things. And again, not just lobbing judgmental grenades each way. You know what I'm saying? You, you know what I'm saying, right? You know, those that are like, you know, much tighter men, just eh, all those liberal, whatever the case is. And then the other way around, it's like, you know, you're just a legalist and none of that is helpful. None of that will bring unity in the church. None of it. Allow the Holy Spirit of God to guide and direct you and let your conscience be enlightened by its pure source, the Word of God. It's not going to be, it's not going to be your guide. Your guide's the Word. And then it's going to adhere to how much light is being shined into it. Your conscience is going to adhere to how dirty or how clean it is. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. We're only really kind of just talking about sharpening here. And so that's why the Apostle Paul spoke of the importance of a clear conscience. He spoke about warning against defilement. About a muddied, dirty conscience. 1 Timothy 3, verse 9 says, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. 1 Corinthians 8, 7, we already referenced this. Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge. For some, with conscience of the idol, unto this hour eat as of a thing offered unto idols, and their conscience being weak, it becomes defiled. Titus 1, verse 5, 15 says, unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is Nothing pure, even their mind and conscience is defiled. So, put simply, a weak or overreactive conscience, it needs to be taught. It needs to be, it needs to be educated. It needs to be brought beyond its spiritual dullness and it needs to be made useful. It needs to be, made sanct- it needs to be allowing the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit on our conscience. It needs to be sharpened. And what does it need to be sharpened against? The rock of Scripture. Not what our friends think. Not what our family thinks. Not what some blog thinks. Not what the internet thinks. Listen, let's educate ourselves because you have the same Holy Spirit that I do. Right? And so if you begin to get into Scripture, you begin to get in your quiet time and be like, there's a specific area in my life where, where, where I've got question. Man, examine your life. Be, be honest with yourself. Be like, what about this area? And then begin to ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate what needs to happen in your life. And then as you will learn that the Holy Spirit of God is going to make it black and white for you. And He's going to say no for you. And he's going to say yes for so-and-so. And guess what? That looks gray to the human eye. But to God, black and white for Ryan, black and white for so-and-so. It's an individual Holy Spirit ebb and flow of things. I think you probably know that I'm just talking about areas where it's kind of more just gray. And if we're talking about black and white things, no, listen, where the Scripture just says it. You don't, need, you don't need to worry about that. You don't need to begin to continue to question that. Hmm, should I step outside of my marriage? No, absolutely no. But it's, it's the other things. It's the things that are in your mind right now. The questions like, hmm, yeah, where, where is it on this? Find out. Edge it, but sharpen your conscience. Don't just, don't just allow yourself to make a decision uh, very, very, very quickly there. So sharpening and educating starts with fixing the focus of your conscience in the right object. And that's revealed truth. Divinely revealed truth. 
So if the conscience looks only to your personal feelings, well, it can accuse you wrongly. It also can lead you in the wrong direction. You and I are certainly not to order our lives according to our feelings. Uh, A conscience fixed on feelings, which are inconsistent at best and deceptive at worst, that can't be trusted. It's especially dangerous to anybody that is subjected to depression and melancholy to allow their conscience to be informed by their feelings because despairing feelings will provoke unnecessary doubts, unnecessary fears in the soul when not kept in check. It'll begin to wonder, is God really here? Does He care? And so you and I, we've got to be persuaded and we've got to be guided by God's Word, not just the whims of our feelings. Because I don't know about you, feelings are up and down, aren't they? Absolutely. So anchor them. Anchor them. It doesn't mean that your feelings are wrong, guys. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you can't be emotional beings. God created you that way. Alright? But just make sure that that emotion and, and, and who and how God made you, just make sure that it's anchored to truth. Anchored to that exposing light. And so a conscience errs when the mind focuses wholly on our, hear me, faltering in sin. And it ignores the triumphs of God's grace in us. If all you're ever focusing on is your failures, mercy. We're Christians. We don't want to be around them. People don't want to be around us. Are you going to fail? Absolutely are you going to. But don't negate the the wonderful things that God's doing in your life. Christians, like tr- true Christians, they experience both realities, right? They experience the, uh, you, that, that you, you still sin, but also the um, amazing... Uh, you, you, you can weigh the fruit of the Spirit in our lives along with the remnants of sinful flesh. But there's, a, uh, but, but, but there's good as well as, uh, as well as that bad. And so we must see our faith as well as our failings. Otherwise, the conscience is going to become overly accusing. Prone to doubts about our standing before God. So you see there's errors on both sides of the road. So you've got to, you've, you, you've got to sharpen your conscience. If, if your life is just really, really, really loose... Ask God, okay, where can I sharpen it? What, where, where, where do you want to work? And then if it's, you ready for this? If it's super, 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 super strict, then what happens is, is you're constantly accusing yourself because you cannot keep that standard possibly in your life. And so there's the accusations and there's the guilt. And so a sharpened conscience has, has a balance. And you know anything about balance is it's constantly being adjusted. You're never really in perfect balance. You're just always, you know, always uh, working that. And so we must subject our conscience to the truth of God and to His Word. And as we do that, the conscience will be more clearly focused and better able to give us reliable feedback. So we start by softening it. Let's make sure that we can even hear it. And then as we're hearing it, let's make sure that we are sharpening it according to the Word of God that that's the proper standard, not just tradition things. Again, again, if you're holding to tradition, that, that's okay. But just make sure that that's not causing you to be overreacting and that you're doubting that, God, am, am I even good with you? Okay? We are good with God based on Jesus. And I praise God for that. So a dull conscience, it's a hindrance. A sharp, trustworthy conscience becomes a powerful aid 
to spiritual growth and stability. And so, softening a couple weeks ago, sharpening, and then the next time we uh, are in our series, we are going to look in on how can we strengthen it. So it's already been sharpened. It's already in tune with what, with what the Word of God is telling us how we ought to live and think and act. But then how do we, how do we strengthen that? How do, we, how do we keep it working? How do we keep it functioning, right? How many of you have a, um, a, 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 you know, maybe a smoke detector that lets you know the battery's going out, right? How does it let you know that? Oh, it starts chirping. And so what does it need? It needs, it needs some more juice, right? And so how do you and I continue to strengthen our conscience to be able to um, continue to live purely in a very impure world? Remember how we started this series? Just the radical sin, sexual sin nature of our society. And I put the stakes super, super high uh, because uh, it is very, very important. So here's what I want to do. I want to switch gears here. It's only 1035. And I'd like for us to spend some time together praying for our revival. And you may do this in uh, more than one way. You don't have to do it in a group. Um, you, can, you can pray together or you can pray individually. But I'd like for you, if you've got a pen and a paper, I'd like for you to write some things down, please, to begin to pray about. We're, about, we're, we're, we're three weeks away from the start of our Winter Revival with John Van Geldren. And so if I, I'd like for us to pray together on some things. Alright, here's what I'd like for you to begin to pray about. I want you to ask God to bring deep conviction. Conviction, conviction of what? Conviction of sin. Conviction of spiritual brokenness. And then also to bring deep, genuine repentance where needed. Repentance would be your acknowledging of the area, the deep sin, and maybe the brokenness that God would show you through His Word and Holy Spirit in your life. And then you and I would have, that God would allow us to repent of that area, which would be you're acknowledging it, you're seeing it for what it is, and to God's grace, you're going to turn from that. You're going to repent of that and say, hey, I don't want to do that anymore, I don't want to think that way anymore. I don't want Whatever it is, the Holy Spirit of God will work in your life uh, over those days. Now, obviously, I'd encourage you to be there because that's what God wants to do. God wants to reveal things in our hearts. And uh, we don't do this all that often. And I don't believe I'm asking a lot uh, from you uh, to be there for these different services. Okay, so we're going to ask God to kind of bring about that deep conviction uh, of sin, of kind of the brokenness in our lives, and that he would give us the courage and the strength to be able to uh, repent of that, of that sin. Let me say secondly here. I want you to pray for deep cleansing. And here's the key. And a desire 
to go beyond the surface. A lot of times when we're praying, a lot of times when we're dealing with God, it's just like surface stuff. But I want God to deep deal with me deeply. Deeply. Oftentimes the surface sins, actions, thoughts are a result of deep inner identity issues and all of those different kinds of things. And so as God begins to bring this conviction of sin and our brokenness and all that, let's just pray that it's that it's deep. It's just it's not just it's not just the surface stuff. It's not just, oh God's going to convict me to pray more. God's going to convict me to read the word more. And by the way, those are wonderful things. Do not do not take that too far. But then it goes it's deeper. It is much, much deeper than that. Okay? And then thirdly, final thing here for this morning, and then we're going to break up and pray. Pray that God would create a spiritual hunger in us. And draw us to a fervent relationship with Him. Fervent would be just the word red hot. That God would create a spiritual hunger in us and then draw us to a fervent relationship with Him. Okay, it's 1040. So we can pray alone. We can pray with somebody else. Let's Let's spend some time praying, and uh, we might just gently play the music here uh, in a little bit. That doesn't mean you have to stop. We've got plenty of time, but let's, let's pray for three weeks from now when we start a revival. Uh, mention John Van Gelderen as he, as he brings the word, but uh, these specific uh, three things here.